for jellyfish fields. We'll never catch him now. I'll take care of this. It's Cannonball Jenkins! Nothing good would come from city folk and their flying machines. Ahoy, mateys, and welcome aboard to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your host, Captain Eric, and welcome to episode 126 of the Squarecast. If you happen to miss last week's episode, 125, it was my coverage of Battle for Bikini Bottom. Now, normally when it comes to Video Bob Game Pants episodes, uh, I, I play the game, I bring you my thoughts and details, maybe some Easter eggs if I can find any, uh, but with Battle for Bikini Bottom, that is the, the creme de la creme. It's the cream that has risen to the top. It would make uh, Macho Man Randy Savage very proud with that. Uh, but, you know, even if you prefer the movie game, hey, you can't get to the movie game without Battle for Bikini Bottom. That's just the foundation that that it exists on. And I knew it couldn't just be a normal episode uh, with just myself talking about Battle for Bikini Bottom. It's a game that if you're a SpongeBob fan and you've played the games at all, you've at least looked into enough. So just hearing my thoughts about it wasn't going to be enough. So I reached out to uh, a streamer by the name of Shift, who also holds the world records for the speed runs of Battle for Bikini Bottom in both its any percent and 100% categories. If you're not familiar with the world of, of speed running, it's those who can play video games extremely fast, and there is a wide variety of different categories that can happen within a game for, for different ways to play the game. And Shift holds the world record currently for the any percent and 100% categories for Battle for Bikini Bottom. Now, it's one thing to be able to say, hey, I can beat this game to its 100% completion in its fastest way possible. But you have to see his any percent runs to, to believe some of the strategies that go into uh, achieving the run. I mean, certainly it's... It's not playing the game, quote-unquote, as intended, but to to know these strategies on their own and be able to pull them off one after another to get that fast time, it's incredible. It's a sight to behold, and, uh, and I had a wonderful conversation with Shift, not only just about uh, the game, but also himself and the world of streaming, um, so... If you have any interest at all, even if it's not about Battle for Bikini Bottom, but if you have any interest even in the world of streaming, uh, playing video games in, in a speedrunning way, um, or if you just want to know as much about Battle for Bikini Bottom as you can, definitely check out episode 125 of the podcast, or the video version of that interview is going to be coming out to YouTube very soon, so keep an eye out. Uh, for the video version of that interview, where you're going to see both Captain Eric and Shift on screen at the same time. Worlds collide. Wow. It's incredible. Uh, but yeah, just so you know, as as we are moving forward, there have been a few weeks this year, more than a few weeks, where uh, the, the intended release day for the podcast has been taken aback a day or two, uh, usually due to what's going on in my personal life. Outside of recording this podcast and this week in Nickelodeon history, which 
I, I put a lot of work and effort into what I put out for, for both of those shows and what I do for YouTube. Um, and, and I'm passionate about that, but keep in mind, I work a 40 hour plus a week job and then have responsibilities outside of that for both friends and family. So then even in my personal time, I'm constantly even sacrificing uh, time that I usually would play video games for the stuff for this podcast. So there are times where I'm spinning a lot of those plates in one week and then somebody just throws a football at me to catch and I'm not expecting it. And I'm not meaning that in a literal sense. I'm using that as a as a framing tool. But what I'm saying is those moments in life that when you're an adult and you just least expect something and they just come out of nowhere, and that can have a massive effect on, on some of the things that I, I usually do in my personal time, such as this podcast. So moving forward, there's not going to be much of a change. I'm just shifting the release day for these episodes to Thursdays instead of Wednesdays. Since I usually release the episodes on Thursdays, uh, there has been a shift in my schedule, no pun intended, on our uh, on our streaming friend there. Uh, there has been a, a shift in my schedule that has made it so that if worst case scenario things are, are set in a wrong way, I can 100% still guarantee a release of these episodes on Thursdays. So moving forward... I'm ready. A SpongePod Squarecast will release officially Thursday mornings, um, and what I'm aiming for is a 5 a.m. EST release time for the episodes. Uh, this week in Nickelodeon history will remain on Sundays for the time being. Uh, things have been working out really well for that, and actually, uh, that show has a, a bit more in the can than I'm ready. Uh, but I, I'm excited about things moving forward, which includes some of the video content I have coming out on YouTube. If you're not already subscribed to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, definitely go into the podcast description, click on the link, hit subscribe, even if it's just the podcast that you see up there for now. But I promise you, give it a week or two, you're going to be pleasantly surprised with some of the uh, content that Captain Eric is pushing out that doesn't even necessarily have to do with SpongeBob. Ooh, what could that be about? Stay tuned, folks. Anyway, on to today's episode, which is is the third and final half-hour special for SpongeBob SquarePants in his third season. But if you watched these live, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, this is the second one. And, and you're actually right, technically, because even though this was the third produced, closer to the end of the third season, this was aired before... Ugh, or SpongeBob BC, the uh, the episode that takes place all in the cavemen times that that whole patchy episode that was held off until 2004. Uh, reasonings I can think of would be that I think it's just a more marketable special episode as like a big deal than the lost episode. So you know for that reason I think they just thought during that gap in between the third season. And the SpongeBob movie, we're going to need some big episodes to still keep SpongeBob permeating in the public consciousness to let him know, hey, he's not gone. He's still here. I think SpongeBob BC just worked better in that regard and was held off. The lost episode, though, really feels like it's almost a pseudo final episode. 
And I mean that in a way because Nickelodeon really doesn't do with quote-unquote final episodes um, with a lot of their cartoons. It's it's weird because they've had this rule. You you hear it from some creators, uh, the, the most famous of which being Bye Bye Beavers with the Angry Beavers. Nickelodeon really not wanting a cartoon to acknowledge that it's the end. Um, and you, you hear this, and then you think back to Doug, not to be a bit of a This Week in Nickelodeon history moment here, but going back to the end of the fourth season of Doug, its final episode on Nickelodeon features the characters graduating from school and moving on to a new location, or, or at least by the end, just knowing, hey, they're they're moving on with their lives. There seems to be a bit of a finality there that... Nickelodeon just historically has never really allowed. There are moments in this episode that make me feel like, hey, if they were going to finish SpongeBob with its third season and make it a big deal, this almost works like a nice final episode for SpongeBob if it was going to end with season three, even though there's two more episodes that were produced after it. And I'm not saying that this was their intentions, but there, there are some moments here, and I'll, I'll just point them out, and I'll let you know how my mind works, and, and we'll go along. But, uh, yeah, so this was marketed as SpongeBob SquarePants The Lost Episode. And just like a lot of these half-hour specials, they're marketed with a completely different name, but then the SpongeBob episode within has its own name. SpongeBob SquarePants House Party has Party Pooper Pants. And with this episode, we have The Lost Episode, but then the sponge who could fly. A part of the third season, it is the 59th episode, and it first premiered on March 21st, 2003, although earlier that month it was out on DVD, March 4th, 2003. This episode was written by Paul Tibbet, Ken Osborne, and Meriwether Williams. Our storyboard artists are Carson Kugler, Caleb Muner, and William Reese. Our storyboard directors are Paul Tibbet, Ken Osborne and Mark O'Hare for a specific segment that we will get into. Our animation director is Andrew Overtoom and Tom Yasumi. And our creative director is Derek Dryman. Um, there's also an interesting fact about this episode. Um, as noted later on in the, in the episode, this is the 118th separate story of SpongeBob SquarePants. That is including Reef Blower as an episode. So if you just lay out every single title card you have ever seen for SpongeBob, The Sponge Who Could Fly is number 118. And for those curious enough to know, episode 69 of SpongeBob SquarePants is The Secret Box. That's just fact and information there for you. Um, do with it what you will. As with every half-hour SpongeBob special... Uh, the framing around the actual episode itself is around the antics of our favorite uh, SpongeBob host, Patchy the Pirate, and his uh, his friend or or pet or his puppet, however you would like to say, Potty the Parrot, voiced by Steven Hillenburg for the final time here, as Mr. Hillenburg would exit the show once he was done with the third season and the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. He would pass on the role of Potty the Parrot onto Paul Tibbet, who would then pass the role onto Mr. Lawrence, who is currently the voice of any Potty the Parrot appearances. Uh, beyond Steven Hillenburg voicing Potty the Parrot in all of these moments, he appears in this episode himself in a cameo appearance 
if you, if you don't know it right at this moment in time, we're, we're not there yet, but, but we'll get to Mr. Hillenberg. Uh, but this episode opens up with Patchy the Pirate in his shower of all places, not ready to present the lost episode of SpongeBob SquarePants that he was, I'm guessing, gifted by Nickelodeon. Because as the episode opens up, we are told by the narrator that this was, in fact, a lost episode of SpongeBob SquarePants that was found under a desk at Nickelodeon and is now, you know, being aired for the very first time for your viewing pleasure. And for the very first time in the show's history, we actually see the Nickelodeon Studios, which between that moment and this being a lost episode that is being aired, to me, gives off that finality feeling. You know, like if the show is continuing and you found an episode that you produced, it wouldn't. Yes. Yes, it is a lost episode, but you just air it a part of the show. You just, you know, place it in line. If this was any other animated show that you knew there would be multiple seasons moving forward, you you wouldn't air this as a lost episode. You would just, oh, the sponge who could fly. It's all right. Put that in the next season. For example, Marvel's What If on Disney Plus has an episode that was made or it was being worked on and wasn't finished in time for the season, an episode in which Tony Stark has to go through the events of Thor Ragnarok instead of Thor uh, on on Sakaar and whatnot. That episode was pulled but then was, was being made for the second season. It's not going to air as a lost episode. It's just going to air a part of the second season. That's... Kind of the same kind of mental structure I'm using here. So the fact that, oh my goodness, we found this episode that never aired of SpongeBob. We have to air this, and then it's being aired as a lost episode. That just gives off a little bit of a of finite finality feeling here. And given a few more segments and moments that are going to happen in the uh, in the future, it, it just keeps giving it off, which it's, it's regardless on if this aired last or two episodes before the end. It's a nice episode, um, especially given some some current moments that have happened. And once again, we'll get to that. But as the episode opens up, Patchy, who was apparently handed this lost episode of SpongeBob, he is the number one fan of SpongeBob, runs the fan club. No one is bigger than him. He's got hosting duties of all these specials. He's been given this lost episode and the ability to, to bring it to us fans. And he himself has lost the episode, which I I know is a joke, but I really feel like there is more nefarious means at hand other than the fact of of Patchy just somehow losing this item. I think somebody else took it from him. Uh, my own little theory, a SpongeBob theory that we'll, we'll get into. Um, Patchy then explains to us that he lost the episode, it's it's over. We need to go home. Shut shut off the TV. Don't even worry about it. He is eventually given a map to where this lost episode lies, somewhere in Encino. And this map strangely looks a, very similar to a map that we have seen in uh, SpongeBob SquarePants before, as the map looks very similar to the board game of the Flying Dutchman's Treasure Hunt used in ARG in the first season of the show. Now, this may not be surprising to the 1.7 million people out there who watched 
uh, Alex Bale's eighth SpongeBob conspiracy theory that Patchy the Pirate is actually, in fact, the Flying Dutchman. Somehow there's a connection there, and the theory he lays out is compelling. And since this is the first time I'm mentioning Alex on both the show and the channel here, I'd I'd like to thank him for his work. Some of the conspiracy theories he has put out there on SpongeBob have almost altered my opinions on some things and have even made me feel as though that that was the intentions at hand. They are some compelling work. And I love the extra steps he's gone into to weave in uh, his own little narrative into into the videos he's done. Um, although I, I feel like maybe the pressure of just making SpongeBob content has had a negative effect on him. And he has maybe taken to the idea of being the SpongeBob guy in a negative light. And, and I got to say, as someone who, who makes specific SpongeBob content on purpose, like, Hey man, don't look at that in a negative light. You know, I, I would kill if every bit of SpongeBob content I made was, was making the hits you were. So, uh, yeah, man, be, if you're the SpongeBob guy and you're the only one that people are going to watch when it comes to SpongeBob stuff, uh, take that with stride, sir. That's all I'm saying. But uh, yeah, watch his stuff. I will link the uh, the patchy one in the description below because I, I mentioned it here specifically. So click on that if you want. Well, hey, you don't have to if you don't want to. Bunch of crybabies. Um, it's actually, I always forget to take out previous sound effects I've used because all the settings are on the same file. So sometimes I'll just have to roll with it if I forget. So now I'm just getting booed at in another episode. If you happen to listen to the audio commentary on the Lost at Sea DVD, you'll find out that the former parking lot attendant, Don, is the man standing at the front gate there at Nickelodeon Studios making a little cameo appearance here. And I think also just the appearance of Nickelodeon Studios in general feels like a finality type thing to me. Like, you're you're really pulling the curtain back? Now, trust me, SpongeBob has pulled the curtain back once or twice before, but uh, not not to this extent as far as actually showing Nickelodeon Studios proper. But anyway, Patchy goes through Encino, California, uh, as follows from this, this treasure map that was thrown at him on a brick through his window, which means somebody took the SpongeBob tape from Patchy, hit it on him, made a map as to where it is, and then and then sent him the map. Now, when it comes to mind, as far as who could have done that, Potty the Parrot is the first one that comes to mind. He is very mischievous, as we have seen in previous episodes. Um, he loves messing with Patchy. He loves almost ruining his day. So, making him go through a few hoops to get to the SpongeBob tape Seems like something that Potty would do. But I also think he has an accomplice, and we'll get to that soon. But he has to go through as follows, ten paces past Mrs. Johnson's house. Mrs. Johnson, a, a little old lady who seems to live at least near uh, uh, Patchy the Pirate in some regard. Uh, five fathoms past Don's import store in Delicatessen. 
And just so I can explain a few things here, a fathom is a unit of length equal to six feet or 1.8 meters. It is usually used to uh, to measure the depth of water. So five fathoms, it is pretty much 30 feet past Don's import store in Delicatessen. And since we're just explaining stuff here, a Delicatessen is a store selling cold cuts, cheeses, and a variety of salads, as well as a selection of unusual or foreign prepared foods. Just the more you know. Next up is half a league to the forked tree. Now, a league is a form of measurement that is used both on land and in sea. On land, a league is three miles, and in sea, it's three nautical miles. Who would have thought? And as far as, like, the nautical mile to a mile, it's like 1.1 or 1.2 as far as a difference to, like, one mile to what what a nautical mile is. Um, But half of that to the forked tree, and in our world, apparently, forked trees are just where plastic forks come from. Thanks, Patchy. Love the information. But once you get to the forked tree, you then have to survive the seven trials of Monkey Lagoon. And uh, if you just look up, Monkey Lagoon happens to just be a children's playground. And it is quite the seven trials that Patchy has to go through. In fact, one of them is that we get a tight, close shot of Patchy on some monkey bars. And then when the shot... It looks like he's struggling as he's climbing across, but then the shot comes out, and we see that he is, in fact, walking on the ground. But then there's this little kid ferociously punching him in the back. It's such a quick shot. You might just be able to laugh at the fact that he's walking on the monkey bars and not truly get to appreciate this this little monster of a kid just punching Patchy in the back. But let me tell you, my old manager at Dunkin' Donuts would be proud at the level of back-punching that was going on in uh, in that playground right then and there. But once Patchy is all through the seven trials of Monkey Lagoon, on the other side, he finds where the treasure is at. But it's not a buried treasure in the ground, even though he's digging. It's an above-ground buried treasure. Because no one would expect you to bury your treasure above the ground, so it's technically the safest place to do it. That's some sound logic there. I can't really... I mean, in a way, you, you can totally argue that nobody would expect that, but if somebody showed up to where they would expect the treasure to be and it was just sitting there on top of, you know, a marked spot, um, you're, you're really doing half of the work for them. Let me tell you, when Patchy opens up this treasure chest, inside is a treasure that has no unit of measurement, has no unit of worth because... Its worth is immeasurable. Inside of this treasure chest is not only the tape of SpongeBob SquarePants' lost episode, but it is also the entrance to some kind of underground lair. But inside of this chest is a miner that hands off the episode to Patchy. This miner stands inside of this chest with almost an aura about him and these heavenly sounds as he is just almost gleaming with love as he hands off this episode. And if you are unaware of the fact that this miner 
is a cameo appearance by one Steven Hillenburg making a full-on live-action appearance. Now, technically, Steven Hillenburg appears in every single episode of SpongeBob SquarePants due to the fact that Painty the Pirate's mouth at the beginning of the theme song is Steven Hillenburg's. And we've seen his mouth in every episode. We've heard his voice with Potty the Parrot, but we have never seen him proper in an episode until now. And here he is in this special moment of handing off the episode to Patchy. And look, um, maybe at this point in time, that that moment has a, a different feel to it. Uh, but it's still, once again, even back when this first aired, that would have, to me, felt like almost a finality-type moment. Like, here's the creator of the show making an appearance in this episode. I don't know. I just can't... I can't shake this feeling off that even if it wasn't the plan, it just, it could have worked in that way. But now that Patchy has the episode, it's time for him to go home and show the viewers at hand the lost episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. And when he boots it up, we get that sequence that I mentioned that Mark O'Hare directed of a walk cycle of SpongeBob walking on this 3D plane, dancing to the music at hand. It's a, a quick little segment that was built up to being the lost episode, and um, and Patchy is very furious about this. Now, to pause for a moment, if I was a fan of something that big and I got wind of this one-of-one one copy of this lost footage, this lost episode, and that's what I received and that was it, I mean, I would still be pretty excited to have something that was, you know lost technically and and be the one to unearth it as an episode of spongebob it's certainly not anything to to talk about it's a little walk cycle but the end of this moment kind of ends the tape and makes the appearance as if that's it that is the lost episode of spongebob squarepants and patchy is furious about this he is pretty much fed up with Spongebob, and this crushes him. I think he goes a bit overboard about this, more than I would. Um, But what we end up getting is a sequence that I love going back and looking at, like, in slow motion and pausing. Patchy the Pirate goes through his house, not only knocking off every framed picture of Spongebob off of his wall, but goes into his room and tears away every bit of Spongebob merchandise that he owns. But if you pay attention to the Spongebob merchandise, all of it looks extremely off, yet similar to actual merchandise that has existed. And even on this one frame, I can see two or three pieces of Spongebob merchandise that I I know exists, but there's just something off about this. Spongebob has extra eyelashes, full black pupils, and he has a bow tie instead of a regular tie, well, what gives? Well, a lot of this merchandise is no doubt prototype merchandise for SpongeBob SquarePants. Essentially, what companies could do with the SpongeBob license if they were able to have it. Sometimes companies make these as a proposal, or sometimes they get contracted to do so and and see what they're able to, to produce. And then, of course... 
make the tweaks and variations before these products make their way on store shelves. There, There's always a back and forth with this to make sure that the people producing these, you know, plushes and bedding and, and toys are, are correct in every way to Nickelodeon's specifications before they hit store shelves. So there's always prototype merchandise, you know, lying around when it gets sent to you. And with all of this merchandise, you might as well fill up Patchy's room. But if you are an old school SpongeBob collector, if you pause this at various moments, you can no doubt find yourself pieces of merchandise that that existed, that you own, but it just looks ever so off in this episode. Uh, point being on Patchy's bed, there is a pillow of SpongeBob SquarePants, a blue pillow with this white kind of ropey border and his hands are kind of off of the pillow. I own that exact SpongeBob pillow. I will take a picture of it. It's it's in storage. I'll, I'll have to find it, but I own that exact pillow. But in this episode, his teeth are off. His eyes are, are dilated. It looks just way too off, but you only see it for a second. I mean, Patchy is just quickly throwing all this stuff off of his bed. But yeah, if you just pause and, and look at everything, it's a it's a wonder to behold of some of the stuff that was probably being sent to Nickelodeon from these uh, these vendors. Like, hey, we really want to work with SpongeBob. Look at what we made. And also, in a way, the fact that it looks so off kind of saves the episode from just kind of you know, over-promoting merchandise. You know, it would be a little dirty for the show to just kind of to show off just how much SpongeBob merchandise you can go out to stores and buy. But, you know, when you actually look at these plushes and the toys, they, they just look that off. Now, Patchy was a little too overzealous on getting rid of all of his SpongeBob stuff because if he just waited, the tape was actually going to show the proper lost episode of SpongeBob SquarePants which is listed on the screen as number 118 of SpongeBob SquarePants. And now on to the actual episode at hand. This is not one of my favorite episodes of season three. Uh, For as much as I love a lot of the things in the episode about the patchy segments, especially the the ending, the appearance of Steven Hillenburg, I, I adore those moments When it comes to the actual Spongebob episode here, the actual cartoon, I don't know, it just, there's something off about it, and I kind of even remember thinking when I was watching this live, like, maybe this should have stayed lost. It feels off in some ways. There's moments about it I absolutely adore, outside of the patchy moments. There's things about the actual Spongebob episodes I adore. Uh, but it's it's premise and, and a lot of the choices here, it's it's a little weird, but we'll we'll get to it, especially what happens after this episode airs. We'll definitely get into that, so stay tuned. Uh, but the episode opens up with SpongeBob jellyfishing. And SpongeBob, we have seen up to this point, he has a lot of respect and love for the jellyfish. At one point, he wanted to live among them. So we, we know to the extent of how much he'll show his love for the jellyfish. But out of nowhere, SpongeBob just gets this out of left jellyfish field thought that he just wants to fly. He just he wants to fly among the jellyfish. He sees them floating up in the in the water and just dreams about flying, going off into a song sequence about his desire to fly amongst the jellyfish. 
Point one is that there's a lot of musical moments in this episode, which the songs themselves are not necessarily bad, but I don't know. They just kind of come and go, and that also helps with that finality part as well. We don't really get a lot of musical moments in SpongeBob, not to this extent, so to have so many in one episode, it it just feels even extra special here, this this moment. Uh, but we get this song sequence of SpongeBob dreaming of, of flying with the jellyfish, and he immediately starts dreaming up of ideas on on how he could achieve this status of flying. And um, I gotta say, the, the one moment of this episode, one highlight, an appearance of Grandpa Squarepants and another thought bubble giving very good information throughout all of his appearances, including this one. If we were meant to fly... Hey, I'm not your grandfather. And SpongeBob's first thought here as far as getting up in the air is literally everyone else's thought as far as flying. Get yourself in an airplane. That's how you'll fly. Except for within the underwater world, these are not necessarily called airplanes. Uh, You know, that would seem a bit weird since they are designed to fly technically in the water above all the creatures and whatnot. So... For this episode, they are called flying machines. That That is a more accurate description as to what they do underwater. Uh, they're, they're not really flying in the air. But uh, but yeah, SpongeBob's first thought is, I'm going to get in this uh, flying machine, and I'm going to fly with the jellyfish. Patrick is here to help him out. Along the way, his, uh, his dreams of flying with the jellyfish. And even with Patrick's help... SpongeBob is unable to really get the hang of the flying machine under control and ends up ruining the silo of Farmer Jenkins. Uh, Old Man Jenkins is a character that has appeared many times throughout SpongeBob and historically has had different designs each and every time he appears. That or Old Man Jenkins is just a very fair underwater kind of, it's almost like a sir for somebody who is, who is older. Like, hello, old man Jenkins. Like, that's just, everybody takes that as a compliment if you're an old man. Maybe that's a thing. I, I don't know, but we have a lot of Jenkins in this episode. And let me tell you, this Jenkins steals the absolute show. It's crazy. Not, not only throughout his appearances here, but now anytime somebody says Old Man Jenkins or brings it up, this is the first design of that character I think of, is is this Jenkins. Even though throughout this episode he is never once called Old Man Jenkins, he has a few other titles under his belt, this first one being Farmer Jenkins. Uh, SpongeBob's next thought of flying, I don't know if this would be everybody's next thought as far as how you would achieve this, but... Uh, this is actually a pretty ingenious one, given the fact that they are underwater. Uh, but the thought is to get in a skin-tight bat suit, if you will, uh, with wings under your arms so that you are able to then flap your bat wings. And honestly, when you look at this thing, you would think that the wings would almost work kind of like flippers, when you are, you know, scuba diving or underwater and you're using those those flippers and they kind of help you, you know, traverse underwater, I would feel like those bat wings would, would work in a really good way, but apparently not, as it sends SpongeBob careening off of a cliff 
Although he does achieve some sort of, of flight for uh, a couple of seconds, but it's that old cartoonish kind of effect in which it's stalled out and then he falls. Which, by the way, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but this suit very much reminds me of a suit that Wiley e. Coyote wore, um, not only in, in one of the classic Roadrunner shorts, but in the Sega Genesis video game, you could actually use it as a power-up. It's like this green bat suit, and if you played as the Roadrunner, many times the coyote would come after you in that green suit, so I have so many memories of that suit. Uh, but when I thought about that, I went, wait a minute, SpongeBob is literally stalling in the air off of a cliff jump, and then falling to the ground. This is, of course, a reference to the Wily e. Coyote. I, I got to imagine that. SpongeBob's next plan is easily his weakest and his most backwoods-level desperate move of flying, and it's two balloons filled with helium attached to a lawn chair with a brick holding it down, with the idea being that you get in the lawn chair and it's going to just float him up. The The thought process, though, SpongeBob, is that with helium balloons, they're just going to go straight up. You're, you're not going to really have the mobility to move around and fly with the jellyfish. I don't know why he didn't uh, he didn't think about this, but but take a look at those balloons again. Uh, I, I might just have Nickelodeon on the brain, but I think we have a, a little Cosmo and Wanda appearance in SpongeBob SquarePants. Stealing a lawn chair, which it also could be Squidward's lawn chair, for all we know. Um, I don't know. I I think it's uh it's it's interesting that for the balloon colors, those were the colors they chose. The uh, next and final choice of flight is is honestly not a bad one. Um, I I thought it would it would work, but apparently uh, it's it's not going to work as as well as I thought. But SpongeBob ties himself to a kite with that kite itself then attaching to a bike that Patrick would ride on. And I don't know, between the, the speed of the bike and for how light SpongeBob is that we've at least seen in some regard uh, attached to a kite, I don't know. I, I thought it would work, but uh, he just ended up crashing and burning through that whole ordeal. What I found weird was that when, when the citizens of Bikini Bottom saw SpongeBob in the kite flying, they were they were concerned over his well-being. Like, there seemed to be real concern over this guy, you know, up in the air in this kite. And, and then the kite kind of caves in on itself, and then he is just being dragged on the ground, and the citizens are cheering that on. Like, I, you know what? As crazy as it is, isn't that just what society would do to an extent, you know? We, uh, we, we show concern and then, you know, as long as the person's okay afterwards, we have no problem going back and, and laughing at those, those falls. I certainly don't, but, uh, it very much is a bit of a commentary on, uh, on the above world using these undersea creatures. And then even just all of the name calling and, and all of the pressure that all of these characters put on SpongeBob. By the way, I don't know if anyone has pointed this out, but I think SpongeBob learned a bit of his, uh, chicken mockery here from Fred who comes over and box at SpongeBob because of him being the birdman of Bikini Bottom wanting to fly and even does a, a little bit of a, a chicken strut there. I, I got to think that SpongeBob maybe picked a, a bit of those pointers for his later chicken mockery. 
But uh, the the whole town here is not really ecstatic of SpongeBob chasing after his dreams, his dreams of flying with the jellyfish. I mean, depending on your dreams and what you're doing out there, it can definitely feel like that. It can feel like you don't have the backing of most people for for whatever it is you want to do. You, they might verbally tell you that they support you, but actions will always speak louder than words. Um, and as far as following your dreams, let me tell you, you should absolutely follow your dreams and continually move forward on them until you can't, until you legitimately can't anymore. Because no matter how many levels or hoops you have to jump through or get through the ordeals that you have to endure, when you eventually make it to the other side, all of that instantly is just your story to success. That's it. And everybody has a different road. No one's looks the same as anyone else's. And you got to create something that's unique ahead of you. So I, I know that some of that might come off as as a bit uh, schmaltzy. That's a word that uh, that fits. But it, it's true. It, it really is. So you got to think about it. There's actors out there who, who don't catch a break until their 70s or 80s. And you got to imagine what they're going through. And all the hoops that they had to jump through to get there, they probably appreciate it a lot more in that moment. So never give up on your dreams. Always, always move forward on them. SpongeBob, though, is really distraught on on the citizens of Bikini Bottom, really kind of booting him out of town with a uh, with like a armed mob over him, trying to follow his dreams of flying. the The news is even covering the crazy Birdman of Bikini Bottom. But he's actually not as crazy as you think, because through the accidental uh, use of a hair dryer, which you would think SpongeBob doesn't have hair, or or does he? And the answer is, yeah, he does. He actually combs it and dries it. And that hair dryer, inserting it into his pants, filling them up with air and giving him the ability of flight. And SpongeBob, we get another song sequence here of SpongeBob flying through Bikini Bottom and using his newfound abilities to help out every single citizen, big and small. From helping Mr. Krabs get back a dime to helping Plankton all the way down in this little kelp patch and SpongeBob being high enough to be able to see him and help him. And, and that's a little beautiful moment that we have. But he's helping out the citizens of Bikini Bottom to such a degree that over time they are completely misusing SpongeBob's abilities. At first, everything he was doing for the town, like helping Mrs. Puff get her snail out of a high tree or helping Plankton all the way, you know, down in a spot that he was only able to see from high up, those chores and tasks are one thing. But eventually, the citizens of Bikini Bottom are asking SpongeBob, to do literally anything, anything, cleaning Mr. Krabs' garage, rubbing Patrick's tum-tum, picking out a tie for Larry the Lobster, cleaning Squidward's tub, uh, balancing Mrs. Puff's checkbook, helping Plankton spread the word of evil, which he does. SpongeBob helps spread the word of evil in this episode. Uh, untangle someone's phone cord, do someone's geometry homework, talk to someone's plants, Rubbing an older man's scalp, who SpongeBob eventually finds out he went to elementary school with, uh, a man by the name of Dennis, in this in this really funny moment. I would say is is one of the funniest moments of this episode 
when SpongeBob finds out it's Dennis and and then goes back to rubbing his head. Uh, SpongeBob, though, is really fed up at this point with literally doing everybody's meaningless chores when his only goal of this entire experience was to fly with the jellyfish, and he has yet to do that. But when he decides that enough is enough and it's time for him to head off to Jellyfish Fields to do something for him, the citizens of Bikini Bottom, they don't take it lightly. And you would think, well, if they're going to attack a dreamer the way that they did earlier, what are they going to do to somebody who just chooses not to help them? They legitimately go after SpongeBob in full force. I'm talking everybody in town is chasing after SpongeBob as he's trying to escape and get back to Jellyfish Fields when they send out Cannonball Jenkins. His third appearance in the episode, we didn't talk about his second. It was a very quick moment when SpongeBob was helping out the town. Uh, the, the lighthouse of Goolagoon, the light went out, and uh, which it's, it's weird that there's a lighthouse. I mean, I guess there has to be ships in the goo and the lighthouse makes sense. I'm talking myself out of railing against the lighthouse. But uh, but he fixes the light bulb, which helps uh, Sailor Jenkins from running his ship into the shore. So he turns the ship around and then runs into a rock, which is then somehow SpongeBob's fault. Even though without SpongeBob's help, he would have run completely into the shore and ruined his ship regardless. But yeah, so... Uh, we went from Farmer Jenkins, who quit farming, so he got into the world of sailing, became Sailor Jenkins, and because of SpongeBob's fault for ruining his ship, he then has to ruin the flying machines because those city folk and their flying machines, they'll never learn anything. They're just going to cause trouble. And in comes Cannonball Jenkins, who decides to kamikaze himself into SpongeBob, exploding the pants and causing the both of them to plummet to the ground, although Cannonball Jenkins was prepared with a uh, with a parachute, SpongeBob was not, and came pummeling to the ground, where the citizens came over and, and felt remorse over what they had done, but not to SpongeBob himself, but to the magical pants that gifted SpongeBob the ability to fly. And they take the pants to go off to... Give the pants a proper burial, which that alone is hilarious. Like the thought that they would want to give a pair of pants a proper burial is one thing. The fact that we later on get to see that very quickly is, is I got to applause whoever decided to, to actually throw that in there. But SpongeBob still goes over to Jellyfish Fields, finally admitting to himself that he's never going to have the ability to fly when all of a sudden the jellyfish form around him a nice little platform for him to sit on to fly him around Bikini Bottom and back home. We get a nice little song sequence here, which I have to say, out of all of the songs, would probably be my favorite. Um, It's a nice little ditty with just Spongebob singing about the importance of friendship and how, you know, you don't really... You don't really need anything else if you have a good friend by your side. And and I got to say, I agree with that 100%. If you have a, a good friend that you just click with on a 100% level, you know you could literally do anything with that person, including nothing, and still have a good time. So I like, I like that sentiment. But I also like the moment here where the jellyfish help SpongeBob. It's, it's a beautiful moment. 
and also adds to that finality. Like, here's SpongeBob three seasons in catching jellyfish constantly, and then here are the jellyfish helping him out in a nice little way. Uh, it's it's a sweet moment as all of the citizens watch as the as the crazy Birdman yet again is flying over the sky. Although this time they're they're completely shocked at the jellyfish help. That is the end of the episode. That is the Sponge Who Could Fly. Now, as with every Patchy the Pirate episode, we get a nice little bookend here of Patchy wanting to uh, rewind the episode to watch it again, but can't find the remote as it is currently missing from his house. This leads to another brick coming in through the, the window of the remote uh, for the, the television and VCR, and I'm guessing a lot of other electronics in Patchy's house. It was delivered by uh, the elderly woman from earlier. If you remember, Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Johnson from earlier is the one who's been throwing bricks into Patchy's house and then riding off on her souped-up wheelchair and I got to think between Potty and Mrs. Johnson, they're both behind all of the missing items of Patchy the Pirate. They're, they're in cahoots somehow. I don't have much evidence to claim that theory, but I don't know. It just seems like a, too much of a coincidence for, for both of these items. And, uh, and especially for, for Potty to always be suspiciously aware as to what's going to be happening and what's going on. Now, as we finally get the remote back in Patchy's hands, he starts clicking buttons, which starts setting off a bunch of different electronics throughout Patchy's house, including, apparently, a button that is designed only to bring up a mariachi band. A live-action one, in fact, which is a nice little moment to have here, given that we get a nice fish mariachi band in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Uh, but... I, I really wish I had a mariachi button around here. Oh! Yeah! Woo! All right! Yes! I guess every home comes with one uh, installed. Uh, you should start hitting every button in your home. Eventually, a mariachi band will pop up for a few minutes. It's crazy. Uh, but this mariachi band comes up, and as Patchy is continually pushing buttons, eventually, the tape of the SpongeBob SquarePants Lost episode starts spewing out all of its guts from the VCR as Patchy realizes that he has now ruined the SpongeBob SquarePants Lost episode, and that it'll never be viewed again. What a tragedy. Wow, Patchy, what a loser, as the narrator would say. That's not my words, that's his. But what is really poignant about the end of this episode is just another piece of evidence to me that gives off this finality for this episode. Maybe for Steven Hillenburg, knowing that he was going to be stepping away after the movie and that, you know, regardless of what happens with SpongeBob, these were his final episodes. And we have this moment that zooms out of Patchy's house, it's nighttime, and the narrator says something that's so beautiful, and um, given the, the untimely passing of Mr. Hillenburg, it's, it's a different feeling to watch the end of this episode. As the camera zooms out from Patchy's house a bit, it goes up to the stars, and as the narrator goes on to say, you know, as, as he, you know, tape or no tape, as long as there are stars in the sky, SpongeBob will live on in our hearts 
and in our minds. Along with that is a little consolation of SpongeBob SquarePants. And, uh, you know, it's really true. And even more so about Mr. Hillenburg himself. He will always live on in our hearts and in our minds as long as SpongeBob lives on in our hearts and in our minds. It, it might be a bit cheesy, I'm sorry, but it is it is very true. His legacy has been well cemented, and you know, we're we're coming up on the end of the third season here. There's two more episodes left before we get to the movie. And then we'll have a, a whole month load of extra episodes before we move on to season four as as there's a lot of reflection to go about. This is where Mr. Hillenberg had stepped away from the show for for a time and decided this is the mark I'm leaving. This is where I'm saying goodbye, but this is where SpongeBob will have to move on with with other creative minds at the helm. And it's it's a whole different ball game when we start getting into those episodes. But for the time being, it's it's a nice moment to reflect on on Steven Hillenberg. Uh, I reflect on him every time I I do one of these podcasts or I watch an episode of SpongeBob. It's hard not to. But then you get a moment like this, uh, like at the end of this episode, that just, I don't know, brought a, brought a tear to my eye the first time I watched it. And uh, it's a nice little moment that, once again, it, it just feels like if this was the season finale or the series finale, as, as Steven had intended or would have wanted... This would have made a nice little final moment for SpongeBob SquarePants. Although, like I said, there are two more episodes that follow this, though it's technically just like one SpongeBob episode proper with two segments. And just to be fully transparent as as far as the next few steps on our journey through SpongeBob SquarePants, after season 3 is done, there will be an episode of my rankings of season three, as I've done for the previous two seasons. After that, we will move on to the movie. We will move on to the movie game. We will move on to one extra talk about the rehydrated movie, since it just felt proper to to talk about it closer to, to as we were talking about the SpongeBob movie. And once that's done, um, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe one kind of special episode about Steven Hillenberg's work and departure from the show before we move on to season four of SpongeBob SquarePants and just continually move forward on this trail because this this project of mine only has an end date when SpongeBob actually ends. That's that's when that happens. Uh, you know, one final thing about the lost episode here. This was, I believe, the first time that Burger King and SpongeBob would work together hand in hand on a promotion. It wasn't SpongeBob's first time in a promotion with a fast food chain. As for his house party, there was a promotion with Wendy's, which may also have marked his first time as a, as a, uh, as an option for a toy as part of a kid's meal. Maybe wrong about that for at least America. I think it was Wendy's. Um, but Burger King right afterwards would then get the license to make SpongeBob toys and the partnership between SpongeBob and Burger King was synonymous all throughout the 2000s, the 2010s, um, all leading up to probably the greatest piece of advertisement in advertising history, 
but Burger King's classic commercial featuring a remix of a classic song. I'll give you a little hint here. I like square bucks and I cannot lie. Squid and sea star yeah, that's real. That is absolutely real. That is Sir Mix-a-Lot singing uh, I Like Square Butts. Um, I implore you, definitely check out that music video. And if there is ever a live I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast uh, edition, uh, that will be sung live. There's no way that that can't. One last thing to mention about the sponge who could fly is that the episode itself was the basis for the original Spongebob musical. The Sponge Who Could Fly opened up on May 31st, 2007 in Singapore before making its way in the UK and Ireland on February 3rd, 2009 and throughout Spain in 2011. The pictures and video footage of this show throughout its iterations is a sight on its own. So... I can't do it justice in an audio podcast, but I implore you, look up some of the pictures and videos of the performances of this musical. The costume choices and design choices are a sight to behold. Now, to be completely fair, given the musical that we currently have that aired off and on Broadway, um, you know, this show had to had to crawl so that... Uh, so that the SpongeBob musical that we saw on Broadway could could pleasantly strut itself down Broadway. And as far as this original musical, I'm sure there are elements to it that completely work, but in certain regards, in certain ways, this just shouldn't be seen by the public. Uh, but in all regards, I implore you, please look up the footage of the Sponge Who Could Fly musical, the original SpongeBob musical before the, the current one that we all know and love. But uh, that is going to be this week for I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Uh, I appreciate our time together, and I can't thank you for being a part of the Ready Crew. You can reach Captain Eric at SpongePodPodcast at gmail.com. You can send me any SpongeBob-related questions, any questions for the show, about the show, if you have any sort of suggestions, anything at all, SpongePodPodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. Please check out my other podcast, This Week in Nickelodeon History, dropping every Sunday on most conceivable podcast platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel. You can purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects goes directly back into my projects. And as always, it is greatly appreciated. Everybody out there, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Love you guys. But tape or no tape, as long as there are stars in the sky, SpongeBob will live on in our hearts and in our minds. Now get lost. I mean, bye. Uh, no, really, get lost. I'm ready.